You'll never be at another Bible study where you're in Genesis 1, John 1, Romans 1, Hebrews 1, and Colossians 1. When we put this together, actually the Lord put it together, one of the things that we want to learn from this is evidence of design. Not only are we fearfully and wonderfully made, but even as we go through this book, the Lord tells us we're going to be studying it, and its mercies are going to be revealed far past the next thousand years into eternity. So I've called this God of Wonders this morning, chapter 38, verse 1. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind, and he said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man. I will question you, and you will answer me. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? And to what were its foundations fastened? Or who laid its cornerstone? When the morning stars, these would be the angels, sang together, and all the sons of God shouted for joy. We've made it past chapter 1 and 2, which gives us the, um, the heavenly aspect of our study. Verses 4 through 25, of course, is the seven rounds of debate that Job had with Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. They could not get Job to confess his so-called sin because surely the suffering that Job was experiencing was because of something that he did wrong. Well, they finally give up, and last Wednesday uh, we were introduced to Elihu. Elihu comes in chapter 32 through 37, and he's not really mentioned uh, when we get to the end of the book of Job. The other three are. As he's closing up his speech, some of the commentators that I've been reading, are, they're speculating what's happening here because Job isn't going to answer Elihu. If you go back to chapter 37, verse 9 through 14, it gives us maybe a little glimpse of what is happening here. It seems like there's a storm on the horizon. And this would be Elihu. This would be his final words to Job. He says, from the chamber of the south comes the whirlwind. I think he's actually looking at it as he's talking, and cold from the scattering winds of the north. Breath of God, ice is given, and the broad waters are frozen. Also with moisture, he saturates the thick clouds, he scatters his bright clouds. And they swirl about, being turned by his guidance, that they may do whatever he commands them. In the face of the whole earth, he causes it to come, whether for correction, or for his land, or for his mercy. And then like verse 14, God of wonders, Listen to this, O Job, stand still and consider the wondrous works of God. And that's really where we're headed this morning. And as we look at these verses, for the first time, the Lord breaks into the discussion. They really have no idea what's happened until all of a sudden the Lord shows up on Wednesday night. I alluded to it, it reminded me of the Lord taking Peter, James, and John up on the Mount of Transfiguration. And when they got there, Jesus was glorified. He began to shine and glow. His garments became white. And all of a sudden, there's Moses and there's Elijah. I get goosebumps just talking about it, standing up here thinking about it. I mean, they're just Peter, James, and John. They're just totally overwhelmed by this experience. Peter starts yakking 100 miles an hour. Oh, Lord, it's good we're here. We should build three tabernacles, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. And in the middle of all that, the Lord breaks through, just like he does right here. And he says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. 
In other words, yes, Moses is important and Elijah is important. I, I personally believe that was a staff meeting that is to be continued in Revelation chapter 11 because that's why I personally believe the two witnesses are going to be. So we see them there and, you know, God speaking from heaven, try to put yourself in the story here. Job's just gone through this incredible devastation for all these chapters, the so-called friends railing on him all over, and then finally Elihu can't get through, and he's cut off. So as we read the first seven verses here, the Lord says, Job, hush, stand up like a man, let's talk. You who darken counsel, you think you know so much. So as we're introduced to this chapter, Job really knows no more about creation. He says, tell me if you know Who laid the foundations of the earth? He's talking about creation. They've been jabbering on for over 30 chapters on their knowledge of the creator and how he does things. But when push comes to shove, Job has to admit that he really knows nothing. I have my notes here. Job does not know any more about the beginning of the creation than evolutionists who hold to the Big Bang Theory. And we'll be coming back to that in just a little bit. Because neither of them were there, uh, but I can tell you who was there. Look at verse 7. Just go, go down there. There was the angelic realm that had been created at this time. And when God did create the earth, and I'm going to say this a couple times this morning, are you aware that the earth existed before the sun and the moon and the stars? that there was the earth before there was even the rest of the universe. That's what Genesis 1 is going to tell us. But when he decided to do this, when he did lay the foundation for planet earth, that it says in verse 7, the ones who were there were the uh, sons of God. It appears three times, first to the angelic realm. We have it in Genesis 6 and three times in the book of Job. And here's one of the places. We also have it in Job chapter 1. And in Job chapter 2, where it says they came and presented themselves before the Lord. So, um, when I say uh, evolutionists and uh, those who hold to the Big Bang Theory, all of us here have some sort of an idea. I went on the internet and I just got a couple paragraphs. Bear with me as I read their explanation and definition of the Big Bang Theory. The Big Bang Theory is an effort to explain what happened at the very beginning of our universe. Discoveries in astronomy and and physics have shown beyond a reasonable doubt that our universe did in fact have a beginning. Now prior to that moment, there was nothing. And during and after that moment, there was something in our universe. The Big Bang Theory is an effort to explain What happened during and after that moment? Now, according to the standard theory, our universe sprang into existence as singularity. That's the terminology that they use, singularity. About 13.7 billion years ago. What is a singularity? And where does it come from? Well, to be honest, we don't know for sure, Singularities are zones which defy our current understanding of physics. They are thought to exist at the core of a black hole. Black holes are areas of intense gravitational pressure. The pressure is thought to be so intense that finite matter is actually squished into infinitely dense um, 
materials uh, that is truly mind-boggling. These zones of infinite density are called singularities. Our universe is thought to have begun as um, infinitely small, infinitely hot, infinitely dense something, a singularity. Uh, Where did it come from? Well, we don't know. Uh, Why did it appear? Well, we don't know. I think their singularity is a fibularity, or better yet, a liularity. Because the fact of the matter is, none of them were there 13.7 billion years ago when all this happened. Yet today, in any university, there was a special program, um, Ben Stein expelled. Uh, For those of you who uh, haven't seen it, talk about great sarcasm, where he goes into the classroom and shows how impossible it is. If you're a creationist or believe in, in what we call natural design, you will not get a job in the leading universities in, in, in the country today. You're not allowed uh, to teach it. Um, it's not allowed because the God of this world, Lucifer, is in charge of our uh, system. He is the God of the air. It's the same Lucifer that we find in, in chapter 1 and 2. And basically, you know, you have to ask the question, don't they have any integrity? Aren't they willing just for conscience sake with the sarcastic little song that we sang? You just think it through, honestly, of the reality of how we got here. I mean, a sunset should do it. <laughs> and uh, uh, just creation itself, I'm getting ahead of myself. And nobody's being honest about it. I ran across, um, Joe Foch was teaching, and somebody brought this article to my attention, and he quoted it, somebody gave it to him, and he read it. I said, that's great, I'm going to steal it. So um, this is, this is um, the former chief of the New York Times. His name is John Swinton. And I'm just going to read this little quote because it's, it's very, um, it's got a great sarcastic ring to it. He's a former chief of staff of the New York Times, And he's called by his peers the dean of his profession. He was asked in 1953 to give a toast before the New York Press Club. And this is what he said. So he's ready to toast his peers who are journalists. He says, well, there's no such thing at this state of of world's history in America as an independent press. You know it, and I know it. There's not one of you that dares to write his honest opinions. And if you did... You know beforehand that it would never appear in print. I am paid weekly for keeping my opinions out of the paper. I am connected with. Others of you are paid in similar salaries for similar things. And any of you who would be so foolish as to write honest opinions would be out on the street looking for another job. If I allowed my honest opinions to appear in one issue of my paper... Before 24 hours, my occupation would be gone. The business of journalists is to destroy truth, to pervert, to vilify, to fawn at the feet of mammon, and to sell his country and his race for his daily bread. You know it, and I know it, and what folly is this toasting an independent press question? We are tools and vassals for rich men behind the scenes. We... Are there jumping jacks? They pull the strings and we dance. Our talents, our possibilities, and our lives are at the 
the property of other men. We are intellectual prostitutes. Wow. (laughs) And then Richard M. Cohen, the senior president of CBS Political News, stated, we are going to impose our agenda on the coverage by dealing with issues and subjects that we choose. That's what's happening in the news. The real, what's happening in the news today is ISIS just took part of the Golan Heights. And that's not going to be making front news, but to us as believers, this is setting the stage for unbelievable things. But it's not going to get the press that, that it deserves. One more quote from Richard Salen, former president of CBS News. Our job is to give people not what they want, but what we decide they ought to have. Now, if this is true in journalism... How do you think it's not true when we come to our universities that have all but gotten rid of God in every way, shape, and form? And you cannot teach creationism in major universities across our country. So anyone want to give me an amen on that? It's just the facts and the way they are. Well, this morning, you've gotten their view. There was nothing, and then it exploded. <laughs> 13.7 billion years ago, there was nothing, and then it exploded. We're going to look at what God's Word has to say about it in Genesis 1, John 1, Romans 1, Hebrews 1, Colossians 1. And that, to me, is evidence of design, by the way. The ones. Are you ready? Here we go. Genesis 1. Let's dive in. Study God's Word this morning in the beginning. In the beginning, we're actually just going to go through the first chapter here. In the beginning... God, it's plural, it's Elohim. So we have not God singular, we have God in the plural. If you look at verse 26, the plurality returns. Then God said, let us, plural, make man in our image. We have the plurality. Well, you say, well, it's just the Father and the Son. Well, if you go to verse 2, it says, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. You have the Father, you have the Son, and you have Elohim, dual. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was on the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hoovering over the face of the waters. Then God said, let there be light, and there was light. I'm going to point out here, there is no sun yet, but there is light. Three things that God is, God is light, God is spirit, and God is love. And so here we have the Shekinah glory of God being introduced to uh, his creation, And God saw the light, that it was good, and God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. So the evening and the morning were the first day. On the first day, the Spirit of God brewed over what? Well, there was water. Water was there. It was part of the creation on the very first day. Also light, but not the sun and the moon. Now, in verses 6 through 8 on the second day, God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the water, and let's divide the water from the heavens. And thus God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters that were above the firmament, and so it was. And God called the firmament heaven, and so the evening and the morning were the second day. Let me give some clarification on the word uh, firmament. The Hebrew word literally means airspace. So there's airspace for the meaning of firmament, it divides the water from the waters. Well, what does that mean? Well, first, God divided the waters perpendicularly. That is where 
um, water is above us and it's also beneath us. Now, I've just been heard of this, this this week that they evidently have found mass oceans underneath about 400 miles down. Anybody else stumble across that besides me? I see a couple heads nodding. And um, I thought, well, that's interesting timing that we're talking about these waters above and below. God is called the firmament, hev- uh, firmament heaven. This is not the heaven that you and I think of. Actually, the Bible tells us of three different kinds of heaven. And the heaven mentioned here is, would be that space between the earth and our upper atmosphere where we'd, the birds would fly. That's referred to as the heaven. Then there's the stars in the universe. We call those the heavens. But then Paul, in the New Testament, said he was taken to what? The third heaven. And that's where the throne of God was. So the Bible actually teaches three heavens. This one here would be the ones where the birds would fly. This all happened on the second day. Day three, verses nine through 13. Then God said, let the waters under the heavens be gathered together into one place. Let the dry land appear, and it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and he gathered together of its waters. He called them seas. God saw that it was good. Then God said, let the earth bring forth grass, that herbs that yield seed, and fruit trees, and fruit according to its kind, whose seed is in itself. In other words, it reproduces itself from the seed on the earth, and so it was. And the earth brought forth grass and herb that yield seed according to its kind and trees that yield fruit whose seed is according to its kind. And God saw that it was good in the evening and the morning were the third day. So think this through. You have things growing on the third day. We have grass, we have seeds, we have trees, we have fruit. But there still is no sun. In Exodus chapter 20, if you're taking notes this morning, verse 11, It says, in six days the Lord God made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and he rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. You can't have green things lasting very long without there not being a sun. Do you want to give me an amen on that one? Just think it through. He created the the green things before there was even a sun and a moon, which is going to come up um, in verses on the fourth day, 14 through 19. Then he said, let the lights be in the firmament of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs. We'll talk about this when we get a little bit back in Job when we talk about the Maseroth or the Zodiac as signs. The Zodiac is a perverted version of what God originally had laid out called the Maseroth. And I'll get into that just a little bit later. And he says it'd be for signs and for seasons and for days and years And then let them be lights for the firmament of the heavens and give light on the earth. And so it was. Then God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day, the lesser to rule the night. (laughs) And I just love this. He just throws it in there in four little words. Oh, by the way, he made the stars too. One hundred billion trillion. And it's just a one-liner. Oh, yeah, he he made the stars too. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven and gave light on the earth on day four to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good, and so evening and morning were the fourth day. Day five, 
verses 20 through 23, we have the creation of the sea creatures. Let the waters abound with abundance of living creatures, and let birds fly above the earth across the face of the firmament of the heaven. So God created great sea creatures. I saw that they have this uh, white humpback uh, whale that made news this week. They, he, they got a name for him, Hermie or something like that. I don't remember exactly. But they actually recognized him, and uh, they've named this guy. And uh, he's unique because he's, of course, just an albino, a white one. And God created these great sea creatures and every living thing that moves with which the waters abounded according to their kind, every winged bird according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the waters of the sea, and the birds multiplied on the earth in the evening and morning were the fifth day. On the sixth day, we have the land mammals being created along um, with man on the sixth day, let the earth bring forth the living kind according to its kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth, each according to its kind, and it was so. God made the beasts of the earth according to his kind, cattle according to its kind, everything that creeps on the earth according to its kind, and God saw that it was good. Then in verse 26, God decided to make man. Eve is not going to appear on day six, but we have Adam being created. And God said again, I want to point out, it's Elohim, the plurality. It's the Trinity that we have in view here. Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over the earth, over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. The image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air. And God said, See, I have given you every herb, herb and yielding seed, which is on the face of the earth, And every tree that's fruit is good for food, and to every beast, verse 31, then God saw everything that he had made, indeed it was very good, so the evening and the morning were the sixth day. In the beginning, the Bible teaches us that everything that is, everything we see that's been here was all created in a six-day period of time. And I'm one of those that Oh, I'd say maybe 10, 15 years ago, I was uh, impressed with a book called The Invisible War, which had one of the greatest arguments for the gap theory. And there was a period of time that between verses 1 and 2, to accommodate the Ice Age, to accommodate my own intellect, um, went along with it, actually taught it. And yet I just could not get around Exodus chapter 20, I couldn't get around the idea that God made grass on the fourth day and the sun on the fifth day. And um, with good creationists like Russ Miller, who was just here, who did such an excellent job just laying out the young earth, that's where the evidence lies, with the young earth. And um, I've 
I'm back where I should be, believing that God created the heavens and the earth in six days. We live on a young earth, not an old one that's been here for billions and billions of years. As a matter of fact, the earth was here before the rest of the universe was. Somebody want to give me an amen in it? I mean, that's what Genesis 1 teaches. And um, with that, in Genesis 1, also, we read in Romans chapter 5, and this is the other thing that was a clincher for me. If there was millions and millions and zillions of years, like David Wilcox's song, It Was a Big Mistake, says, that means there would have been death also in the animal kingdom, if there was animals. And Romans 5 verse 21 says that, As sin hath reigned unto death, even so might grace reign through righteousness. Uh, And basically, there was no death until Adam sinned. In the day that you eat of the tree, then you shall die. But before then, there was no death. Death only came after the fall. And so with that, let's move ahead and go from there to John chapter 1. That's the first chapter in the Bible. In John chapter 1, John's whole point in his gospel really is summed up in the last couple chapters, chapter 20 and 21, where he said, if all the things that Jesus ever did were written down, he says, I suppose that even the world itself could not contain um, the books that would need to be if we wrote everything down that Jesus ever did. But he says, but these things are written down so that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So how does he begin? Well, it sure smacks of Genesis 1 to me. Um, Genesis, John 1, verse 1, in the beginning. So what immediately, where, where do our heads go back to? Right back to Genesis 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. What I see there again is the duality, the Elohim of Genesis 1. In the beginning, Elohim. Well, here, in the beginning was the Word. That's by itself. And this, whatever the Word was is with God. And the Word was with God. He was in the beginning with God. Go to verse 14, and it tells us what the Word is. The Word became flesh dwelt among us, we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So we have the word, and we have God. Now in verse 3, all things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. And there you have Genesis 1 right there, summarized in in the first three verses of John chapter 1. Turn with me to the book of Colossians, chapter 1. Picking it up in verse 15, the he is in the masculine, it's the reference to the Lord Jesus Christ. So Colossians 1, verse 15, talking about Jesus Christ, says he's the image of the invisible God. And he's the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created, 
whether they're in heaven, whether they're on the earth, whether they're visible or whether they're invisible, whether they're thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created through him. And notice the rest of this, they were also created for him. He's the one who spoke it all into existence for the very purpose and reason of of, um, demonstrating his grace and his love towards his creation. And this is where it gets so mind-boggling to me in John 1, 11. Here's a creator coming to this planet, coming to his own. And it says, and his own received him not. The very thing that he spoke into existence is now wanting nothing to do with him. He's despised and he's rejected. Verse 17, and he is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. He doesn't right now. But the day is coming when every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So I'm going to give me an amen on that. That day's coming. You can believe what you want to right now. But the fact of the matter, his creation is groaning right now, according to Romans chapter 8. That which he created is also under a curse. There was never mosquitoes before the fall. There were never thorns on roses. Think about it. Thorns did not exist before the fall. Thorns and thistles were a result of cursing this planet. And it says that creation itself is groaning, travailing until the sons of God are redeemed. What does that mean? Well, we're going to get new bodies. Praise the Lord for that. <laughs> Especially the older you get. Playing softball again on Monday nights, holy smokes. And I'm thinking, Lord, I wish I was 13 again with a 13-year-old body. And Oh, wait, let's not go there. But I know what it means when creation is groaning. And... Um, we're groaning, longing, just wanting to have that new body that goes along with this new born-again spirit that's in this flesh right now. Paul says we, we dwell in these tents temporally. It's just a tent. The Bible calls this thing right here a tent, and it's temporal. It says, but it's going to be exchanged with an eternal body uh, that, that never, uh, never gets weary or tired. So Genesis 1, John 1, Colossians 1, let's turn to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1. I hope you're picking up the evidence of design as we're going through here, that all of these chapters deal with creation and the creator. So Hebrews 1, picking it up, let's go back to verse 8, where it says, To the Son, he says, this is the Father speaking to the Son, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is a scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and you have hated lawlessness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness more than all of your companions. Now, here's the, the paradox with this verse right here. Yes, he was anointed more with the oil of gladness, but he was also, remember, a man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief and all the things that humans that we go through, the trials and the temptations, well, he was subject to those same feelings that we have, except he never failed in the, 
in the process of the temptation. And verse 10, and you, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. It wasn't a big bang. It was spoken into existence by the word of God, by his power. You, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are simply the works of your hands. Oh, they're going to perish someday. Peter talks about it when he's going to allow the elements to do that, what they naturally do, and that propel without from each other. And uh, the elements will melt, Peter tells us, with a fervent heat. And uh, God's going to create everything anew. Revelation chapter 21. Behold, I saw a new heavens, and I saw a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away. It's gone. And so here, it says they will perish, but you're still going to remain. They're going to grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You're going to fold them up, and they will be changed, but you are the same. Praise the Lord, he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. The constant. But to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool? And here's where we get the verse about you having a guardian angel. Verse 14 of Hebrews chapter 1. Are they not ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? Of the 100 million angels that exist, that's probably a a low estimate, he has designated some to be ministering spirits to those who are going to inherit eternal life. And that's where we get this from in verse 14. I want to go back to Job. We've just covered the, the ones in the chapter. We haven't got the Romans one yet, but we will. But let's go back to Job. And for sake of time, I'm going to just look at three of things in, in God's creation this morning. But we need to go back to Job, and for time's sake, I'm just going to look at three um, things that, as Job is standing before the Lord, Job, stand up like a man. If you're so smart, where were you when I laid the foundations of all this? Tell me what you know about it. And then in verse 22, he says, Job, have you ever entered into the treasures of the snow? Or have you seen the, the treasures of hail? Now, again, I'm frustrated because I can only pick and choose a couple things to sort of highlight and literally put the microscope under. Because until we had a microscope, nobody really understood the treasures that are hidden in the snow. Um, that's what verse 22 tells us. And so I'd like to put up on the screen an average snowflake. Each one is unique. And let's just go through. I, got, I just picked out five. There's a, let's look at this one, that one. What they have in common is each one of them is six-sided. And uh, we refer to that as a hexagonal shape. And um, that is a treasure that the Lord is talking about that we really don't think about. But every one of these snowflakes, I, my racquetball partner just got back from New Zealand, and it's starting to be winter down there, so it's snowing. And we always have snow in the North Pole and South Pole. And uh, in doing the research estimate again, but trillions of these snowflakes fall every single day. 
and no two of them are exactly alike. Just think about that for a second. There's trillions of them every single day. Each of them are six-sided. Each of them have this incredible beauty. It's a treasure. It's like a jewel, almost like looking at a diamond when you put the the glass on it and and it sparkles. And it's, uh, by the way, Job, have you ever looked into the treasure of a snowflake? How beautiful if you just study them? Oh, by the way, they each have six sides, and every one of them, trillions of them, no two are exactly the same. Let's make it personal. God has this much space for my head. Some, sometimes it's too big. <laughs> it needs to be smaller most of the time. He's got this much hair. Each of us have two ears, two eyes, one nose, one mouth. And there's six, seven billion people on the planet. And unless you're an identical twin, I suppose there could be identical snowflakes. Unless you are an identical twin, no two are the same. Not only that, but your voice is different. And not only that, your personality is different. And God has this much area to work with. And so as unique as a snowflake is, that's how unique you are to the Lord and why he would come and have died just for you if you're the only one. Why? Because you're one of a kind. I'm one of a kind. I'm different. Your personality is different than mine. I'm glad you're not like me, and you're glad that you're not too. (laughs) And uh, just the wonder of this and uh, the wisdom that it had to... And by the way, I'm a snow skier and have been my whole life. And I go to the hills, and they make their own snow. Do you know that this principle is not true with man-made snow? It's all, all the molecules are all crumbled together. They have no beauty or design whatsoever. Only the ones that fall from heaven. And you can get into the whole how this happens with the molecules and the structures, and when it reaches a certain temperature, then they, they crystallize and they come forth this way. But it's a wonder. Hey, Job, have you ever entered the treasures of the snow? Well, that's um, what he's talking about there. And, of course, Job really had no idea. So... Let's go to verses 31 through 33. Again, I wish I could touch on all these. Let's just talk about the universe and the planets and the stars for a second. We call them the constellations. He says, can you bind the clusters of the Pleiades? Or can you loose the belt of Orion? Now, Job is the oldest book in the Bible, but these are the same words that we use for them today. This word, can you bring out the Maseroth? The Maseroth is a Hebrew word and it's changed to the zodiac. You say, Dwight, that's, that's a cultic. And I would say amen to that. It is a cultic. But like many things that were pure at one time, Satan has counterfeited. He, he always counterfeits and turns things around. I mean, he was quoting scripture to Jesus. And he took that which was right and he turned it around. Um, the Witness of the Stars is a book by Bollinger. That is just a marvel. If you have the time to check it out, he, uh, it calls about the witness of the stars. He gets into the Maseroth. It's possible, I believe, that the gospel is written in the heavens. And I'll just throw that out there. I'm not being dogmatic about that. But be, um, the Maseroth, can you bring it out in its season? Or can you guide the great bear with its cubs? Do you know the ordinances of the heavens, Job? And can you set their dominion over the earth? Well, remember, the earth was created before the sun, but we do have a sun. 
It's 93 million miles away from us. Light travels at 186,000 miles per second, so it takes about eight minutes for that light to get here. It's an average star, our star, and it's one of 100 billion stars in our own Milky Way galaxy. And one of the cool things about going to Haiti, we got a team going down there this month. Is it this month or next month? Soon. And uh, because it's out in the country, you can actually see the Milky Way. And um, there's 100 billion stars in our own Milky Way galaxy. There are over 1 billion galaxies. At this time, we're just going to throw up one picture. And just whatever direction you look in, there's this awesome display. You're looking at galaxies right now, these dots of light. And each one of them, there's 100 billion galaxies that have a, a billion trillion stars. Now, this is just beyond what we can think or imagine. That number, a billion trillion. You got it? All right, now this is what the Bible says the Lord has to say about them. He tells the number of the stars. He knows exactly how many they are. And he calls them by name. That's Psalm 147, verse 4. Isaiah 40, verse 26. Lift up your eyes on high, and behold, who has created these things that brings out their host by number? He calls them by names, by the greatness of his might, for that he is strong in power, and not one faileth. Psalm 19, verse 1. Truly the heavens do declare the glory of God, and the firmament shows his handiwork. That's what the psalmist says. Surely when you look into the heavens, there's this wonder of creation. One more that I'll just tie into here that I'm sorry, I just cannot buy uh, anybody that says they're an atheist or they, they don't believe in God, that God doesn't exist. I'll get into that in just a little bit. But they're not being intellectually honest. I think they're educated fools, quite frankly. They're educated above their means. (laughs) And when you get into the study of DNA, it should have been over. It should have been end of discussion. Because it would be be on any mathematical probability that you just happen to be. It's way beyond any mathematical probability. Uh, Do we find a strand of DNA? I asked them if they could get one. We're going to find out here. Just cut Thomas's finger and put that there. There we go. That is one strand of DNA. And we're solving cases that are old today, 30, 40 years old. If you can come up with a person's blood and get their DNA. You can, you can prove a guy is innocent. You can get him off a death row. How? DNA. Because no two are the same. And so a DNA molecule... It just demands, you know, we look at, we, we look at um, a large, beautiful building, and we, are, we go, wow, who put that together? Or we look at a beautiful painting. Carol right over here is one of the best artists in town. She's um, saying, don't go there, Dwight, don't do that. She's hanging her head already. But she's an incredible interior designer. I mean, she painted the pilgrim out there, Pilgrim's Progress. And uh, some people just have that gift. Now, I can, I can also do artwork. I can do a stick band, put a word circle, two lines there, ta-da, you have it. Well, Carol's on the other end of that spectrum. Well, as, as an artist looks at a, a painter, well, it, it demands that it had a designer. 
Somebody didn't throw paint up on the wall and you get this beautiful creation. It just didn't happen. It demands who did that picture? Leonardo da Vinci or some master. And then the amount of information in just this one strand of DNA would contain enough information to fill a stack of books 500 times higher than the moon. That's a, that's a fact. It would take that. In other words, your body is designed and engineered with such intelligence that, that just one dot of a molecular structure goes way beyond time and chance coming together over millions and zillions periods of time. There are 100 trillion cells in your body and they're all working together at the same time, knowing exactly what they're supposed to do. The DNA cell is simply the instruction manual. Genesis 1, John 1, Colossians 1, Hebrews 1, we'll close with Romans 1. Let's turn to the book of Romans. Everything that we just laid out this morning, you cannot hide. You cannot say, I'm an atheist. You cannot say, God does not exist. You can tell yourself that, but you're not being honest. You're not being intellectually honest yourself. Well, how can you say such a thing, Dwight? Because I believe the book that you're holding in your hand is the very word of God, and he cannot lie. So I got a choice. You can say you're an atheist, and uh, God says you're not. God says you're suppressing. You know, you know that he exists. You just don't want to be lorded over by him. That's why people don't become Christians. I've struggled with that for the first nine months of, of realizing it was true, but realizing I wasn't going to call the shots anymore. And I had to deal with that. I did not like the idea that I would not be boss anymore and that he would be Lord of my life, and that's what it meant to become a Christian. I understood it all too well. Well, I just don't believe in God. He doesn't exist. No, I know better. So we read in verse 18, Romans 1 now, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all unrighteousness and the unrighteousness of men. Why is God upset with man? Because they're suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. Oh, they know it's true. They know because of creation. That's what the next verse says. But what may be known of God is manifested in them, for God has shown it to them. How has God shown it to them? Since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so they are without excuse. No excuses. Every knee is going to bow. You know that God exists. You just don't want to surrender your life to him. God's not willing that any should perish. And the greatest thing in his creation is that he's given you a free will. You can choose. You see, if the greatest commandment is to love God, if he made me a robot, I would not be exercising my free will to choose his salvation, number one but much, much less have the free will choice to say, I love you back, Lord. If that's the greatest commandment, you can't love him unless you understand what has been, he's gone through for you. He died for you. And he paid the ultimate price. Greater love is no man than this, that a man laid down his life for his friend. And you can blow that off and you can shine it on and push it away, do all that, but it doesn't change the fact that you're suppressing it in unrighteousness. And you're denying uh, that either you're lying <laughs> or God is lying. Which one are you going to pick? Well, you're lying. 
If you're saying you're an atheist, you're suppressing the truth because God's going to hold you accountable. He says, I, I made you. I made your thoughts. I know how you think. I know you're hiding that from me and you're not choosing. But the real reason is men love darkness. Well, let's turn to this. I wasn't planning. This is not part of notes. Go to John 3 real quick. Why don't people come to the Lord? Verse 19 of chapter 3. We're all familiar with John 3.16. And this ties into Romans 1. John 3, verse 19. This is a condemnation that light has come into the world, but men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and doesn't come to the light. I don't want to come to Christ. Too much light. I like the darkness. Why? Lest their deeds would be exposed. What happens in a dark room? Well, when you turn on the light. Well, the two cannot coexist, can they? You can't have light, you can't have darkness in the same place. One or the other. So men love darkness rather than the light because their deeds are evil. So to come to the Lord, a person has to, you know, deny himself, humble himself, accept Christ as his Lord and Savior, And then the lights go on. I used to think, let's just be honest, Dwight. You can't be a Christian. Who are you kidding? Just be honest with yourself. Think this through. Come on. You cannot be a Christian. You know yourself too well. And then somebody said, Dwight, here's here's the deal. Jesus comes and lives inside of you and empowers you to live the Christian life. Of course you can't do it. You need his spirit inside of you. He's the one that does the transforming. And he says, come just as you are. You don't have to clean up your act. He'll do that in his time. Somebody would give me amen on that? It's it's called sanctification. It's that ongoing process. All you got to do is hang in there with the Lord. Don't worry about the stuff that you think you have to give up. You'll take it away in time. I'm not worried about it. Somebody caught somebody smoking outside the church door one Sunday morning. And one of the brothers goes up and says, you know what the Bible says about smoking, don't you? He goes, no. He says, nothing. And then walked away. <laughs> I could care less if you smoke. And if that's something that uh, is not good for you, you know, everybody knows that. But those, I don't worry about such things. What I worry about is your name being put in the book of life. That when you die, you don't go to hell, you go to heaven. That's what I'm worried about. That's why I've given my life to do what I'm doing. I believe this with my whole heart. This book changed my life. And what I thought was impossible with man, and it was impossible with me, but with God all things are possible. Amen? So we have that supernatural work. But let's finish Romans 1. It says, verse 21, Although they knew God, they did not glorify him. That's why we have worship music. We love to sing of the, of the joy that's in our heart that the Lord has done. Because they... They knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were they thankful, but they became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. And I love this. Professing themselves to become wise, they became fools. I point this directly at those college professors that are teaching evolution. They're educated beyond their means. They're professing themselves to become wise, and they are yet fools. Not only that, they're in big trouble on Judgment Day. The Lord Jesus says, woe to that one who would stumble the faith of one of my little kids. 
when they're brought up in the church, they've had a faith in Jesus Christ, and then they go to these universities and they teach all this garbage that is not true. They're lies. And they come and they leave the faith. That professor is going to have to give an account to the Lord Jesus Christ someday for undoing that faith. I've had, I can't tell you how many kids come up to me and they said, Dwight, you know, my professor in college actually singled me out. He wanted to know who the Christians were. Who's the Christian here this morning in my class? He says, okay, you're my target for this year. And they're actually zeroed in on that person to undermine their faith. Well, Jesus said, on the day of judgment, better that a millstone be hung around his neck and drowned in the deepest sea rather than have to stand before me on judgment day if you've undone that. See, with our life again, and I'll close, close up with this, either we are going to gather people in by the way we live, build them up in the faith, or by the way you live, you're going to drive them away. There's no in-between. The Lord doesn't allow any neutrality when it comes to the gospel. You're either for me or you're against me, and there's nothing in between. Somebody want to give me an amen or that? That's what the Bible lays it out. He doesn't give us that that opportunity, that privilege, to say, well, maybe someday, I don't know. No, no, no. By saying maybe someday, you're just saying no. You never know what a day will bring. One more verse, Job 38, verse 3, and we'll close with this. Prepare yourself like a man, Job, and I will question you, and you will answer me. Psalm 92, before the mountains were brought forth and even before the earth was formed, the Lord was from everlasting to everlasting. You've got one or two choices. You can hold that in the beginning there was nothing and then it exploded. That's called singularity. Maybe you learned a new word today. Or you can accept the view I've, I don't believe things need billions of years to evolve. All you have to do is look at a little old caterpillar. Ones you run over this time of year on the highway. You know, they're going to go hang on some branch somewhere. And in two weeks' time, they're going to go from crawling on the ground. All they do is eat. And then they form this, this uh, cocoon. Two weeks. In two weeks, they'll come out a beautiful monarch butterfly. It has beautiful design. It can fly They can be anywhere in the country, and they all meet on the same mountainside in Mexico for winter. That's great. (laughs) Who told them where to go? How they could all meet up and have this party down in Mexico on some mountain. And yet, all you have to do is Google the uh, trail of a monarch butterfly. And um, again, Romans 1, um, suppressing that truth and unrighteousness. Don't do that. If you're here this morning, you've never... Never allowed the Lord. Don't let another day go by. I've said this before. I would not get out this door and cross the street because I might get hit by a car and killed. And if my sins weren't forgiven, then the Bible's clear about my eternal destiny. You know, that's kind of a heavy way to end it, but I want to leave it that way. Let's stand. We'll close in a word of prayer. Lord, I pray this morning as we see your creation that we are without excuse. We thank you, Lord, that you're gracious. You're not willing that any should perish but that we'd all come to repentance, that we'd stop the warfare in our soul. And Lord, we just give up. We say the evidence is overwhelming. I know that you are. I know that you're calling me. And I pray for those this morning, Lord, that have never accepted you. Lord, bring them to that place of repentance by the overwhelming evidence of your existence and your creation and all that you've done. Lord, may you be preeminent in all. 
We just give you the rest of this week. Thank you, Lord, for the love that you give us. We thank you for the fellowship that we have with one another. We thank you for the songs that you put in our heart. So be glorified this day, Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.